Hello, hello, podcasting fam. Welcome to another fantastical episode. This is Ayla Anderson, your host. And today we're going to be just outside of Richmond, Virginia, and in Henrico County, talking with Julianne Charity. And we're learning all about the Virginia Randolph Museum, which is really kind of incredible because it's an entire museum dedicated to one woman. And she was a very strong, dedicated human being that fought for the rights of blacks in schools. And she created great programs for them. And the programs that she created were actually adopted by many other schools in the county and then across America. So it's a really cool story. And I hope that you enjoy the episode with us. I also want to throw out that you can follow me on Instagram or you can follow on Facebook And anytime you want to see any pictures from the episode, I try to post different things on those. And then as well as basically blog posts for each episode on curatorschoicepodcast.com. So check it out and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody. We're here with Julian Charity, uh, who's the site coordinator of the Virginia Randolph Museum and does a lot of other things. But we're here at the museum. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do here and where even are we? Well, we are in Glen Allen, Virginia, um, which is kind of a, a, a neighborhood of Henrico County, Virginia. So we are literally like a stone's throw from the, the capital uh, in Richmond. And um, this is the Virginia Randolph Museum, which uh, is housed inside of the Virginia Randolph Home Economics Cottage. Well, the, the museum itself kind of showcases the life, the, uh, the, the work, the students, and in and, and a, a way, you can say the fruits of Ms. Randolph's labor. Um, Ms. Randolph was a, a teacher in Henrico County from 1892, basically until she died in 1958. But she retired four years before her death. Uh, turns out she had a heart condition that no one knew about. So she was literally one of those that people probably thought was going to teach until she died. But um, she started Henrico County very young. Uh, was assigned to the one-room schoolhouse on Mountain Road. And it was just that. I mean, when she arrived, she said it was literally a one-room wooden building that was in desperate need of whitewash sitting on a red clay hill. She had like nine students the very first day that she began. And you can imagine for a, a teacher, very young, that could be quite disenfranchising. Um, all the fruits of your education and all, and then... This is what you're given. Yeah, only nine students. It doesn't, I mean, it's, you know, it's still good, but when you're expecting to become this teacher that's teaching a huge group of oh, people. Oh, yeah. When, when you first start, you, you're like, I'm going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Miss Randolph literally does one student at a time. Miss Randolph sets out. She's like, this is not going to discourage me. My first day was kind of rough, but I soldiered on. So one of the things she wanted to do as she began, she felt that the school needed help. Physically, mentally, spiritually, the whole nine. So one of the things she does is she decides, in order for this school to work, I have to get the parents buy-in. I have to get the community behind the need for this school. So one of the things she does is she takes her paycheck and she buys gravel to put down so the students don't have to walk from the road to the the building in in the dirt and the mud. So she sets out to beautify the school, instill pride one little thing at a time. And the students, you know, begin to buy in. This is very prideful. And the parents, you know, she starts to get a little bit of buy-in from the parents. 
And Ms. Randolph realizes very quickly with these students, especially African-American students, you're talking about the turn of the, the 18th, the 19th and the 20th century, these students are very closely removed from being enslaved. So Ms. Randolph realized that in this society, yes, it's wonderful to learn academics, it's reading, writing, arithmetic, all those things, but they have to be able to understand the practical arts behind that. You have to be able to put, it, put those hands to work. What's the point of having all these brains up, up top and you have no way to know how to do it? So she, she actually marries vocational arts with academia. A lot, of, a lot of parents didn't like that. You're talking about parents who probably had been enslaved, or at least their parents had been enslaved. Why, do, why does my son need to learn how to plow a field? Why does my daughter need to learn how to cook? Why does my, my son need to learn to make a basket? Daughters need to learn how to sew. I wonder if they almost saw it as kind of like a regression. They're like, they we did. finally got away from doing this for, you know, our for slavery. For someone else, yes. For someone else. So now why is our teacher doing this? What was her backstory like? Was she also Her parents had been slave? enslaved. Her, uh, she was born in 1870, so just five years from the fall of the Confederacy. I mean, her, she was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, in Jackson Ward. Her parents had been enslaved. So she's not far removed from it. And you can imagine Richmond is probably still, you can probably still smell Richmond burning at that point. So all these teachers or all these parents are kind of like, why are you incorporating this as well? Exactly right. What, what, what's the purpose of this? We've been doing this for 400 years. Why do we need to be taught how to do these things? Well, Ms. Randolph is using this as ways of, of building productive citizens of the United States of America. Because at this point in, in American history, you're in the height of Jim Crow. So a lot of people are, are thinking, this is all these folks know how to do. So how many jobs are honestly available to people who are African-American? Well, you have to know how to do these, these practical arts. And then you keep adding to it. Each generation is able to add to it. So she's able to create these civic organizations that, are, that support the schools. She's able to create this, this community engagement that, you know, this, this, this hot topic that we talk about nowadays, community engagement, getting behind the schools, kind of like a PTA. You know, in today's terms, and Miss Randolph catches the eye. You know, this this academic plan is kept, catches the eye of the school superintendent. His name is Jackson T. Davis, and Dr. Davis actually takes her plan, which he dubs the Henrico plan, and he is able to promote Miss Randolph and her educational plan to uh, the the Anna T. Jeans Foundation. Um, the Anna T. Jeans was a Quaker from, um, from Pennsylvania who was this wealthy young lady who, who had no, she didn't have children, she didn't have any siblings, so she's bequeathed all this money. She decides that she wants to take on the education of rural blacks. She wants to fund them. She's able to give money to what we call HBCUs now, these historically black colleges in the Deep South, try to build some pride within those communities. And they create what they call the Anna T. Jeans Foundation. They are just funneling money to the South. Well, Dr. Davis is able to get her classified as the very first industrial supervising teacher in the South. So literally, Miss Randolph will take on supervising other African-American schools in Henrico County, and she is teaching teachers how to teach. And you can imagine that probably didn't go over very well either. You mean to tell me this lady is going to come in here and teach me how to teach my students. They mirror the same plan at each African-American school in Henrico County. At one point, at the height of Ms. Randolph's supervision, now some accounts will differ, 
but we have identified at least 23 schools in Henrico County that she is supervising. And as part of her work, she goes to each one of these schools every week. I don't know how in the world this lady does this, honestly. She didn't have a car. She's probably on a horseback by herself going from school to school to make sure that this plan is being implemented. And she's, she starts recruiting students to the school on Mountain Road. She's able to recruit students to the other neighborhood schools. And Ms. Randolph does this for her entire career. She starts to receive recognition from all of the country. She receives awards, trophies, a gold medal from the Harmon Foundation from uh, New York. They even gave her a $500 cash prize. Now, I'm sure Ms. Randolph probably loved the attention that, brought, that it brought to the schools. I'm sure she loved the different things, all these things, but I'm sure that $500 went a long way for her students. Ms. Randolph made a lot of sacrifices. Now, she herself never married. She never had any children, but she took in neighborhood children and brought them to school with her every day. When parents couldn't afford to send their kids to school, they would literally drop them with Ms. Randolph. She'd bring them with her. Uh, they lived with her. Somehow she was able to stretch her, her salary to feed all of these people, and she was able to get schools built. The Rosenwald Fund, uh, Julius Rosenwald, who was the president of Sears and Roebuck, created a foundation that would also funnel money to the physical building of schools in the South. A lot of these schools have been made out of wood, which is going to last maybe three generations at the most. So they start building brick structures. And Ms. Randolph is able to have extensions built to her school. She's able to get a new school built so that by the time she decides to retire, there are over 500 students at her school. So you can see how these things go in waves. And, and Ms. Randolph was just remarkable. Uh, the students she touched go on to become very prominent members of, of society. There are state senators. There are doctors, lawyers, attorneys, funeral directors. Graduates go on to the NFL, I mean, of the school. So I would say she was quite the successful person. So that when she passed away, Ms. Randolph was buried at Evergreen Cemetery just outside the Richmond City Lines. It was a prominent cemetery for African-Americans uh, from Henrico and Richmond. And the cemetery over time does fall into disrepair so that her former students actually create a foundation, the Virginia Randolph Foundation, and they decide to have her body reinterred right outside of this building. Uh, she's still out there to this day. Uh, so over time, more recognition comes to Ms. Randolph. Uh, just two years ago, October 2019, a, a new statue was unveiled in her honor on the, the Capitol Green in Richmond. Uh, as part of the women's memorial, the the women's history memorial, uh, I think they call it Voices from the Garden. Uh, her statue was one of eight that was selected uh, to to be in part of that. Uh, you can go visit it today. Uh, beautiful. I was there the day it was dedicated. It was quite breathtaking to see. Every now and then, you know, you get a lot. We get a lot of requests from alumni of the school who want to come and see the museum. They want to connect their children or their grandchildren to the history of the place. Uh, every day, the students that go to the, that still go to Virginia Randolph School, uh, which is now called the Academy at Virginia Randolph, they walk by her grave every day. They are taught about the legacy of Miss Randolph and that they are part of that legacy. 
So, and that's what this entire museum is about, is mm-hmm. it is one museum completely dedicated to this one woman, which mm-hmm. makes it pretty unique, like you had said earlier. Right. And the area that we're in, her grave site, which was moved, is now right out front. Right out front. And then around us is also a school. Yes. What is the school that's around us? Uh, directly beside beside this building is the Academy at Virginia Randolph, formerly known as Virginia Randolph High School. So it's still a uh, 9 through 12 the legacy that the original building that the Rosenwald Fund built is right beside us. They call it B Building now. And actually, uh, up until I'd say uh, right after segregation, uh, right after integration, um, there was a bust of Ms. Randolph up on the school. And literally every student that walked in through the doors had to had to walk underneath Ms. Randolph. So, you know, this kind of like setting that precedent of the expectations when you walk into this building. And then right beside that is the Virginia Randolph Educational Center, which is elementary school. And right around here, is that where her original small school building with the nine students was? It was, was that here? yes. Uh, that wooden structure, it was been somewhere within this general vicinity. And as, the, as time went on, the school just grew and grew to the point where they actually had to build a dormitory for the teachers. Um, and then the school just continued to grow, continued to grow. Uh, so it goes from basically one building, one room schoolhouse, to multiple buildings. They still offer the vocational tech programs here, so you can still do auto body and still do uh, horticulture, which is still a huge portion of the pro- of the school there. And all these programs are still offered. So it's um, they're still preparing students for a life past high school. So learning a little bit more about who Rand- Virginia Randolph was kind of in her youth and what created this incredible woman when mm-hmm. she became a teacher, can you tell us a little bit more about her raising, kind of what was her life like before she became this teacher? Well, Miss Randolph was one of four girls, and her parents uh, split when she was young, and uh, she grew up in Jackson Ward, Richmond, so the all-black portion of, of the city, and during a time where everything is segregated, you know, there, and it was not like there was this world that they understood was was different than that, so... For her to uh, receive a formal education, now she didn't go to college, but she was kind of trained to be a teacher, and then to let students know that there is more beyond this. Uh, One of the interesting stories about Miss Randolph is she decides in 1907 to have an Arbor Day celebration. Now, for most people, I mean, Arbor Day is no big thing. It's like, Arbor Day, what is that? You know, it's just about trees. Well... Think about in 1907 for the African-American community. Trees meant lynching. And there's something that people are afraid of. It's something that a narrative has been changed about, about trees. So Miss Randolph takes that narrative back. I mean, she takes it by the limbs. I mean, she takes it by the branches. And she and her students have one of the very first Arbor Day celebrations in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And as far as we know, it's the very first for a black school. But... It becomes more of an annual tradition every year that this celebration gets larger and larger. We actually have a program from the 1908 ceremony, and it was a two-day event. started at church the day before, and then it spills over to the school, and at the end was the planting of the trees. They plant 12 sycamore trees, and they name each one of them after one of the 12 apostles. And many of those trees are still here. So... That kind of shows you the legacy that she leaves. And then we had planned to have another huge Arbor Day celebration in 2020. Of course, COVID the world, happens. yeah, COVID happens. The world shifts on its side. So this year, 2021, we're going to do, have a much smaller celebration. 
of Earth Day and Arbor Day, still including the school, still including those students. And who knows? I mean, maybe Arbor Day will become something that, if it's only just within the Virginia Randolph community, it becomes something that that everyone looks forward to every year. Now, all of us have those little holidays that we look forward to. That's not the fireworks or the parade type holidays. So maybe that, that'll be Arbor Day. I think that that goes to show a lot of her as an individual as well, because this idea of conservation, especially environmental conservation, mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing back then. No. It really wasn't. So for her, with this this really amazing background, she brings to the forefront the importance of that kind of conservation. And I'm sure it wasn't really widely accepted that that was even something you needed to worry about. So it's just really cool that she had the forethought to be like, this is something that is important and it's going to be important. And so to be teaching these students this is just another kind of really amazing tool that they're going to have going forward into the future. And what's remarkable about Ms. Randolph and her educational plan, this is pretty much what we are kind of delving in now in public education is learning by doing. You know, this uh, submerging people into an experience. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not new. You know, you kind of think about 1900, right around that time. It's like, education, you really don't think of it in the sense of what we're doing now. But, of course, now we have computers and all these other things, and people can Google the answer. But then you didn't have all of that. You know, th- this educational plan comes out, and it's like, submerge them into this type of learning and then they perpetuate it and then they kind of spread it out to their own family they spread it out to whomever and nowadays we're doing the same thing she was planting seeds back then and then we're still replicating that as well exactly exactly so we have this amazing bust which is one of the things that we really wanted to highlight about Mm -hmm. this museum so tell us a little bit more about how that came to be underneath this building that all these students had to walk under under the oversight and care of Randolph. Well, Ms. Randolph decided to retire. Of course, immediately, the moment she announces that, everyone's trying to think, what do we do to honor her? She's had hundreds, hundreds upon students that have come through her schools. So one of the things that, that was done, a, a foundation was created. Uh, alumni of the school created what they call the Virginia Randolph Found, Foundation. And it was created with this idea of fundraising scholarships to push students to the next level. And they still do that. They are still in existence today. They still raise thousands of dollars and they send scholarships to, to students all over the county. And they said, well, how do we honor Ms. Randolph? Well, they commissioned a bust of her in 1954. And it was put up above the doorway of the school and every student that walked in, it's like they have to look up and see Ms. Randolph right there. And it's, I mean, you'll, you'll hear stu- the alumni of the school with these stories of, when Ms. Randolph was in the room, she com- she was a small woman. She was not large by any by any means, but she commanded respect. You, she walked into a room, the room went silent. Everyone knew what to expect. So it's kind of perpetuating that legacy generationally. You walk into the building, Ms. Randolph's watching you. You know what to expect when you walk in. So you can come in, you can see that bus, mm-hmm. and then there. So there's a few things in the museum that are really great. I mean, again, highlighting the fact that you can. When you walk in, you walk right by her new grave, mm-hmm. and then you come inside, and then one of the first things that you see is her tombstone that was originally at the old cemetery. Right. But there was something funny that you told me about her age. Miss <laughs> Randolph, um, up until three years ago, the entire world thought Miss Randolph was born in 1874. 
Miss Randolph. Miss Randolph. Including Miss Randolph. She thought she was born in 1874. But it's through the research of an independent historian named Elpatrice Belchis. We, we affectionately call her Elba. She discovered through census research that she was born in 1870. So which is on her tombstone? 1874. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's on the, the original tombstone. is on the one outside. It was It's on our panels, our educational pa- our panels up on the wall. So all of these things have to be corrected. <laughs> it's on the historical marker, which is being corrected. So all of these things is, it's like, um, <laughs> why in the world would she want people to believe she was four years younger? Who knows? But um, it could have been she gotten her birth date mixed up with a sis with her sister. Who knows? And records weren't exactly spectacular back uh, then, especially either. for the African American community. Yeah. yeah. So, and then another thing that I mean completely has nothing to do with tombstones, right? But this was a little bit more jolly. A yeah. little bit more jolly of a tale. <laughs> and you guys have an almost one hundred year old cake in a box. Yes, uh, in nineteen twenty seven, the Mrs. Stewart. Uh, these were sisters that, that had not married, gave Miss Randolph a cake in appreciation of all of the work that she had done. It was actually uh, baked and created to look like a Western Union telegram. And for some odd reason, we don't know, we don't know specifically if Miss Randolph planned it or if it was supposed to be this way. She kept it. She put it in a glass box, actually 15 years later, did a newspaper interview about it, they took a picture of it and everything, and we still have this cake. It's still in the box, the original box that, you know, it was sent to her uh, that she put it in. And we know that if we open this thing, it's just going to just go on itself. So we won't touch it. We do our best not to move around it too much. We try not to breathe around it, really. <laughs> but it's still on display. People can see it. And people ask me all the time, is that really from 1920? Yes, it is. It very much is. It could be actually be older. I mean, we found that Ms. Randolph was four years older, and the cake might be older, too. It do- <laughs> I will say that it doesn't look like the most appetizing cake oh. anymore. <laughs> I mean, I-, I wish I looked that good in almost 100 years, honestly. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you can still read it. It's very legible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really nicely preserved. Which speaks to the, uh, the penmanship of the day. I mean, nowadays, who knows what it would look like. We'd have to type it. We put emojis on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this museum is very special for a lot of reasons, but I really enjoy, and I've said this a few times, I enjoy the smaller museums because there's a lot packed in, and they have more of a specific pur- purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that the purpose that you guys have of trying to show respect for this woman who made such an impact, uh, you guys are doing a great job of it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>